We are in a series, as you guys know, we're calling it the Community Bible Experience. And what we're doing is, as a church, we are actually reading through the entire New Testament over an eight-week period. And uh, we're reading it. We're reading it together. Many of you are connecting weekly with a partner saying, hey, what are you seeing? How can I be praying for you? And the focus is on God's word. And we're excited. And I just want to say I'm really proud of you. And I know it's not easy. Uh, The amount of reading, six and a half chapters on average uh, per day for five days a week. It's pretty aggressive reading, and, uh, and some of you guys are shaking your head like, yep, we know that, but I'm telling you, uh, I'm proud that you guys are, are tracking with us, and let me just say, if you get behind a day or two, don't try to make that up and then get further behind, okay? Just pick up that day's reading. It's, we've been talking about God's Word is our daily bread, and so pick up that day's and read that and let it refresh you. That's our, our goal is that the Scripture, in a different way, without chapters, without verses, you kind of read through it in a little different light, that it will renew our love for God's Word. It will renew our passion for God's Word. And what's interesting is we we're, we're, we've got a couple books left. If you haven't picked one up yet, you can still do so. Um, but nearly all of our adults within the church are participating at some level or another. So about over 100 people uh, together. And I, that's exciting, isn't it? For that many people to be reading God's Word together. And again, it's not too late to jump in, to recommit, and uh, to be a part of that. One other note that is interesting about God's Word is uh, I asked a couple weeks ago how many of you have downloaded the YouVersion Bible app on your mobile device. Let me just see a quick hand, all right? All right, put it up nice and high. Now turn around and look around. That's probably half or more, maybe half of the people here. This is interesting. We got notice this week that the people that have uh, done that, it's a church out of uh, LifeChurch.tv. Um, they're the ones that have made that possible to download God's Word in all those different versions and all the different devotionals for free. They are almost five years old. This July, they'll be five years old, and they are approaching fast 100 million installs of that app. It's unbelievable the progress and the momentum that they've had. And they're asking the churches to spread the word. And I thought, well, we're talking about God's word. I'm going to take a little time to plug this. They're talking about this, that if they hit that, if they can um, hit that for the Bible app to be promoted in every church, they're believing that they will hit 100 million installs by their five-year anniversary, which is unprecedented. And uh, it's just another testament of God's word and the power of that and, uh, across the globe in different languages and all those things. It's pretty exciting. And so we thought, I thought I would uh, mention that this morning. All right. So as a part of the series, each week we've kind of been looking at how God, uh, how God's word interprets itself. And oftentimes we'll take something that's very natural uh, from, a, from the first look, and there will be 
interpretation of spiritual nature that are brought in at different parts. So let's say in the Old Testament, there's something very natural that's happened, some provision. But then in the New Testament, that is reinterpreted. The Word of God interprets itself with a supernatural or a, 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 a spiritual application. And we've seen that. We've been tracking that we saw that the Word of God is considered our daily bread. Everyone say daily bread. We looked at Matthew 6, 11, in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. That's more than just natural provision. It, Jesus is the Word, and the Word of God is like bread. It's like nutrition. It feeds our souls. Amen? We also looked that the Word of God is like water we, last week, and we took you through a whole series of scriptures. Proverbs 18.4 says our words are like water. Psalm 105, verses 40 and 41 talks about the work of God in Israel and how he worked there, and then it was reinterpreted or brought fuller understanding, a spiritual look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and where Jesus was the rock that, that they struck in the Old Testament, and water flowed, and the water is the word, the word of God, and how it refreshes us. And then we looked at Psalm 1, 1 through 3, and uh, which was very similar to Joshua 1, 8 from a, a couple weeks before that, where if we meditate on the word of God, if the water of God's word refreshes us on a day and night basis, whatever we will do will prosper. And the truth of that word right there is incredible. If we got a hold of that and really believed that God's word, if, it, if we are seeing that in our lives day and night, whatever we did, raising kids, in our marriages, at school, at work, in our businesses, whatever we would do would prosper. How many guys want to prosper? If you want to prosper, be in God's word day and night. Well, today I want to look at another um, example of this, that the Word of God describes itself as the breath of God. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, <clears throat> excuse me, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Listen to what it says. It says, all Scripture, the entire Word of God, right, is God-breathed. That word there is theonoustos in the Greek. The literal translation is God-breathed. Some of your Bibles might say by inspiration of God, but the most uh, accurate is God-breathed. So all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God is breathed. It's God's breath on us. We know that there were 40 writers that put together the Word of God, but all of them were the breath of God. And the question this morning is, what can the breath of life, the breath of God, accomplish in our lives? What can the breath of life do for me in my situation? 
or your situation? And I'm glad that you're asking the question. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37. This is an incredible section of scripture, Ezekiel chapter 37, uh, where God's word, God's, the breath of God, uh, does some incredible things. And we're going to see this. And I want to track, uh, track with me Ezekiel chapter 37. says this, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the valley, in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. So just picture, the prophet Ezekiel, he's taken out in, the, in a vision, and, and he sees a valley of bones that are brittle, dry, okay? And what does he say? He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? God is asking the prophet Ezekiel, and Ezekiel says, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. He's saying, I don't know if these can live. Only you can know this. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is the breath of God. We're going to see that here in a second. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life i will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin i will put breath in you and you will come to life then you will know that i am the lord so ezekiel prophesied and was as he was commanded and as ezekiel was prophesying there was a noise a rattling sound and the bo- the bones came together bone to bone. Look, he says, I looked, the tendons, the flesh appeared on them and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then God said to to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, the breath and breathe, I'm sorry, into the slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, Ezekiel prophesied, and he commanded as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. What you see in this passage of Scripture is Ezekiel speaking to the bones. The Word of God, the breath of God, transforms these dry bones into a mighty army. Incredible picture. And in verse 3, it's interesting as you kind of track through this, we can see that the breath of God brings certain things. The Word of God brings understanding. In verse 3, God asks Ezekiel, says, Hey, will these bones ever live? Can these bones live? And Ezekiel's saying, I don't know. Only the Word of God can bring that kind of understanding. How many of you have ever been there in your life where there's questions, unanswered things? You're saying, God, I don't understand. Or maybe there's doubt in your life or confusion. Well, the breath of God, God's Word, brings understanding into our lives. And I believe as a result of that, there's 
tremendous peace. In verse 7, we also see that the breath of God gives order. The spoken word put the pieces together. Look at it in verse 7. It says, So I prophesied, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. If your life seems out of order, God's word, if you apply it to your life, will bring order to your life. Look at verse 8. The breath of God gives strength. And uh, it says here, I looked and the tendons and the flesh appeared on them. Tendons are what give the strength to the bones. And the, the, what's interesting is that the power that comes is from the breath of God and it provides strength for these bones. But I love what it, in verse 10, ultimately, the breath of God gives life. Listen to what it says. I, so I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath entered them. The word of God entered them, and they came to life. They stood up on their feet, a vast army. Incredible. And we see something very similar in creation in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where the breath of God was breathed, and life came into our, into our beings. So we've been tracking over these fat few weeks we said that the Word of God is the bread of life. How long can you live without bread? How many, maybe 40 days? Some, I looked it up a little bit uh, further this week. There are some that say you can actually live up to 80 days without bread, without a meal, uh, with just water. But how many know you'd be pretty darn malnourished by that point, right? If you went without bread or without sustenance for that long. How long can you live without water? Three days. Some will say up to seven days you could go without water for seven days. That's a long time. But by that third day, fourth day, you are dehydrated. And we talked about that a little bit last week. But what's interesting is that, you know, the Word of God's like the bread of life. It's like water. But it's also described as our, the breath of God. How long can you go without taking a breath, without air? How long can you hold your breath? How long? A minute and a half, all right? You guys know, some of you know that I grew up swimming and I love diving and snorkeling and I've got a little bit of an adventurous uh, spirit to me and uh, a little bit, yeah, thank you. Well, I had a goal about a year ago to hold my breath for three minutes. I had read something that uh, anybody could hold their breath for three minutes with a little bit of training. And so I thought, okay, well, that's cool. And so I started training, and I got up to two minutes and 45 seconds holding my breath. And I did that last year, and then I just stopped. I lost interest, and I didn't make it all the way to three minutes. But I was thinking this week, I was like, I wonder how long I could hold my breath. And so I'm studying on Thursday in my office, got my watch on. I kind of do a little breathing exercise for a second. I, I just relax, and then I hold my breath, and easily I watch over two minutes without any preparation. And I thought, hey, that's pretty good. How many can hold your breath? Two minutes. Anybody? Am I the only one? Da, 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 da. <laughs> but let me ask you, what do you think the world record is? How long do you think the longest person has ever held their breath without dying? <laughs> Seven minutes? 25 minutes? Come on, what do you think? 40 minutes, is that what you said? Who said 40? Did you say 40? What did you say? You didn't say anything, okay. I'm hearing things in my head, I don't know. Okay, who thinks that it's over five minutes long, all right? 
Who thinks it's over eight minutes long? Over 11? Who thinks the world record would be over 15 minutes? Over 20 minutes. 20 minutes, come on! Well, listen, there's a doctor. His name is Dr. Stig Savinson. He broke his own record last year, which his previous record was 20 minutes and 10 seconds. Check out this video. You're not going to believe this. It's worth watching. Read the warning. Do not try this at home, okay? All right, let's go ahead and show this. It's worth a couple minutes to see this unfold before our eyes. Here we go. Stig, we want to see if you can break your world record for holding your breath. Currently 20 minutes, 10 seconds. I'll give it my best shot. I really want to see what I'm made of, so I'm ready to push the envelope. For his record attempt, Stig has chosen the controlled environment of a dive training pool. Here we go. And to get a better understanding of what's happening to Stig's body, Greg's joined by fellow scientist Jim Pate, an expert in physiology. Stig's breath-holding speciality is known as pre-oxygenated static apnea. This involves holding position under the surface and inhaling pure oxygen just beforehand. So normally when you breathe air in, it's a mixture of nitrogen, oxygen and carbon dioxide. But him just breathing 100% oxygen now, he's eliminating all of those other gases. He's super saturating himself. Fully oxygenated, Stig is ready to go. Okay, good luck, Stig. To beat his world record, Stig cannot take a breath for another 20 minutes. Stig is still holding his breath. He's 15 minutes in. I could have ordered dinner and eaten it by now. Right? Any amount of time, he's still holding his breath. Unbelievable. Stig has just 1 minute 15 seconds to go to beat his own world record of 20 minutes 10 seconds. Actually, his brother is looking after him. He's a, he's a medic. Yeah. And monitoring what's going on to make sure he doesn't black out. 19 minutes. Absolutely phenomenal. Relax your neck. He fights. This is the toughest time. Oh, I know. Carbon dioxide through the roof. Everything is safe. And breathe, breathe, breathe. Exactly. 10 seconds to go. This is the world record. He is, he's going to do it. Five seconds. Three, two, twenty, ten. And he's done it. A new world record. He's actually broke his own yeah. world record. That is incredible. How much longer can Stig go for? Twenty, thirty. Twenty-one, fifteen. Holding your breath on land is not that dangerous. You do that in water, you go unconscious, you'll die. Twenty-one, thirty. Fifty, fifty-one, fifty-two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, twenty-two minutes. <sighs> incredible. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Twenty-two minutes. Now, if I preach for the next twenty-two minutes and anybody holds their breath for that long, I'll give you a hundred bucks. All right? <laughs> Just saying. Just saying, 100 of my own dollars, and shoot, we'll match it. The church will put, pitch in. In fact, everyone here will give you 100 bucks, and so you'll be, <laughs> no. isn't that crazy? 
Now, how many of you, when you go under the water, and if you're like, you know, down and you're, you know, ways away, if you've ever been there, what happens when you start to feel like you need to breathe? Panic, right? Some tremendous stress kind of happens. Well, let's just picture our life without the Word of God. If we didn't have the breath of God in our lives, our lives would be full of panic and full of stress. The Word of God brings understanding and strength and order. It brings life when we look at Ezekiel chapter 37. And what I'm wondering is how many believers, how many of us are malnourished, dehydrated, oxygen depleted as we're trying to go through life where we're not eating or breathing or drinking from God's Word to the level that we should. And the solution for us is God's Word. I'm glad you're here this morning because I want to just encourage you that, you know, this morning we're drinking from God's Word. We're breathing in God's Word. We're going to look at some Scripture here in a moment. But one breath a week is not enough. You understand what I'm saying? You can't just take one breath and just hold it all week. You can't just take one drink for the week on a Sunday morning or even one meal if you consider what we're doing here, a meal spiritually. It's not enough. Church, I want to encourage you and I'm encouraging myself to eat every day, to drink every day, to breathe every day, and that there would be a renewed love for God's Word. And that's why we're doing this whole series. That's why we're encouraging you to get through the New Testament in a short amount of time. And whatever you're facing, I know without a shadow of a doubt that God's Word will address it in your life. And I'm excited. I want to take a quick pause and just talk about my job as the pastor here for a moment. I just finished reading a book by Robert Morris, The Blessed Church. A family in the church got that for me. It was a really blessing. And uh, he talks about the role of a pastor in a growing church. And he says, you know, the role of the pastor is not primarily to visit everybody or to you know, be at all the meetings and all these things. He says the role of the pastor, and I kind of describe, kind of in my, in my mind as I read it, he says the role of the pastor is to breathe in God's word all week long and then hold it, Sunday morning comes, and then exhale God's word. Then my best role when I'm functioning at my best is when I have been in God's word and have listened to God's word and asked God, saying, God, what are you speaking to me for God's people. And if I do that properly, we can bring a word of God uh, each and every week. Now this last week, the, the, uh, the reading was pretty intense. First and second Corinthians, you guys read. All of Galatians and the first eight chapters of Romans. And I'll tell you, I hope you enjoyed the reading. There were a ton of things that we could have talked about, about the unity in the church. We could have looked at God's power versus man's power. 
the, the stuff on grace in the, these particular uh, chapters that we read was phenomenal. I loved it. Uh, we, I, I, I thought there was quite a bit that talked about modesty, which we've been dealing with that around the church a little bit. Some of you guys know that. And, uh, we, and so I thought, oh, maybe I'll talk about modesty or, or adoption. We talked about that a few uh, weeks uh, back at our last missions emphasis. The freedom in the spirit. Or we looked at the law and say judgmental, uh, judgmentalism versus forgiveness, self-righteous versus humility, uh, legalism versus freedom. There's a lot of things in what we read that we could have focused on. But as I prayed, I said, God, I don't want just any word. I don't want to just, you know, pick out something. I want to, God, what are you saying to us, for us, right now, for this week? For what, what is the breath of life that will bring life into our circumstances? And with that, I, I slowed down and I said, God, just speak to me. And I started to pray, and I realized what, what Paul was doing. He wrote First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and Romans. What Paul was doing, and what I saw trickle through this reading on many occasions, was that Paul was encouraging the people to be like him. He was writing so they would follow his example. And I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. This was part of our reading. If you're in uh, the book, it's on page 123, the first paragraph on the right, about halfway through. Listen to what Paul says. He says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. He's talking to the church in Corinth. And he's saying, imitate me. You look at that word, it means to be like, to copy, to look like, to be. Like from the innermost being, not just to, I'm sorry, not just to look like, not a poser, not, not to look like Paul, but to be like Paul. Now, how do you imitate someone? How, think about it. How do you imitate them? You get to know them. You watch them. And you begin to do the things that they do. And when Paul is writing to the Corinth church in, in Galatians and in Romans, he's saying, look, these are all examples of what I'd like you to be, to imitate. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, listen to what it says. Whoop, I went too far. On page 129, if you're tracking in that way, uh, in our book of books that we're reading through, it says on the last paragraph, on the, last, on the bottom right, of the last sentence, it says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What Paul committed his life to do was to follow Christ. And then he's saying, look, as I'm following Christ, follow my example. He's saying, look to me as an example. And not just to look alike, but to be like I am. And then you say, well, why would he do that? Well, the verse right before that, or the sentence right before that, says, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many. Why? So that they may be saved. That they may be saved. On the previous page, page 128, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19, says this. This is Paul writing. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why would Paul do that? And why would we follow Paul, becoming a slave to everyone? Why? To win as many as possible. 
To the Jews, I became like the Jews to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as under, one of the, under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things, listen, this is so important, to all people. Why? So that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And as I read this and I tracked through this reading, and what, what the Lord, I believe, was speaking to me is that for us is that we, as God's people, need to follow Paul's example as Paul was following Christ's example. Ultimately, we're following the example of Christ. But we must be imitators. Why would we follow Paul's example? To win as many as possible. There are people in our lives that are far away from the Lord that need us to be an example so that many will be saved. Now some of you are saying, well, does it really matter? Does it really matter the way that I choose to live my life? Have you ever thought that before? He's like, ah, does it really matter? You know, what I'm doing on my own, maybe behind closed doors, it's really not hurting anybody. Have you ever thought that before? Or it's not known to people, it's private. Or you say, well, you know, the culture we live in, you know, I know what God's word says, but everyone's doing it. Maybe the music that we're listening to or our relationships or in ethical different things. You're saying, well, I'm just going to fudge here or fudge here, a little bit here or there. Does it really matter how we live? Why would we want to follow Paul's example? Again, it's to win some, to provide salvation for some. And I believe as believers that our lives should be so attractive that the lost are drawn to us. So when you're at work and you're doing your job and you're making decisions that line up with God's word, that people are like, there's something different about you. It's attractive. When you're at school and everyone else is cheating or cutting corners, and they're saying, man, why are you, you know, why do you keep on studying? Why, do you, you know, the, the answers are right here, whatever. But you say, no, I'm, I'm not going to cheat. It's attractive. When you're on the sports team or at the club or wherever you go, your life becomes attractive. Why? So that others may find Christ. Now, if this is going to be true, we understand that we need the gifts of the Spirit. We saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14. And I love the, the progression there. And hopefully you read that this week where it, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit and then it talks about love. And then it comes back to the gifts of the Spirit. We must have our lives filled with love. Not only with love and the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit, found in Galatians 5 on page 162, must be evident in our lives. Amen?
But it's hard to live that way, isn't it? It's hard to live a righteous life. We have moments of greatness. We all do. You do. I do. Where we hit it out of the park and we make a good decision. We decide to turn off the computer and walk away. We decide to, uh, you know, be honest on our taxes. We decide not to cheat or we decide not to tell a lie and, you're, and it feels good, right? But to live a righteous life is not easy. The pull of the world is really strong. And sometimes we get beat up and sometimes we've made enough bad choices we're saying, does it really matter can I come back? Can I, you know, is it worth coming back? And sometimes we feel like we want to give up, throw in the towel, saying, is it worth it? Well, Paul said one more thing that I want us to look at and kind of close on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to turn there with me. I want you to look. It's on page 136 and page 137 if you've got your books of the Bible that we're reading. The very last sentence on page 136, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Paul is wrapping up his thoughts to the Corinthians church, and he says this. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters. And he's talking to the church in Corinth, but we can put our names in there. He's saying, therefore, Pete Benson. Therefore, Reagan Vey. Therefore, put your name in there. He's saying, therefore, Stand firm. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labor, all those decisions for righteousness, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your life can make the difference. You can be the light in someone's life that makes the difference, that flips the switch where they once were lost, but now they're found. And as I read about this, our labor not in vain. Our sacrifice, standing firm with our ethics and our standards, even if it meant loss of income or loss of friends or great persecution, if we stand firm, God's word says that it is worth it. It's worth it. And this morning, as I was praying, I wanted you to know, this morning, I believe God wants you to know that all those decisions that you've made in a positive light, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. And there are some here this morning, I know, and I've been there on more cases than I'd like to admit, where I haven't chose righteousness, where I've slipped and let my mouth run or let my eyes see things I shouldn't have seen or I've been in places of compromise 
lost my witness. Even if no one else knew, there's something inside. You know what I'm talking about. Where you felt, man, can I go on? Is it worth it? But again, listen to Paul's words here to the Corinthians. He's saying, stand firm. The work that you're doing, the life that you're living, that's what I believe God wants to say and that's kind of the entirety if that resonates this morning in a moment we're going to challenge each other to make a difference to take a stand together before we do that I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads and this morning it's possible that you found yourself here at the Gateway Church and you don't even have a relationship with God yet maybe you're seeking maybe you're wondering what, what all this is about, trying to decide for your family or for your circumstances, saying, okay, what are we going to believe? What are we going to do? If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to offer you the gift of salvation. The Word of God says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So all the bad things that you've done, all the mistakes, all the things that you've said, all the things that would hold, be held against you, the unrighteousness, those can be erased with a magical prayer. And I say a magical prayer. It's not the words of the prayer that are that magical. It's really our heart saying, God, I'm going to put my hope in you. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And this morning, I believe God is speaking to some this morning, saying, get your life right with God. And if that's you, if you're away from the Lord, if you need Jesus to be your Savior, I'm just going to ask you to boldly just lift up your hand right where you are. And I'm going to pray with you. I'm not going to pull you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But who this morning say, that's where I am. That's me. Yeah, thanks, brother. Anyone else saying that's that's the circumstances that I'm in? Yeah. We got a couple individuals. Anyone else saying that's where I am today? I need God's forgiveness. Now I want to track a little further. That second part, I know that I for me, I can be saved, I can be forgiven. But I don't always imitate Christ or imitate Paul the way I should. And I'm just wondering how many this morning, really, I, it's all of us, I understand that. But how many this morning would say, that's me, Pastor. I need to imitate Christ more in my life. Just slip up your hand where, where you are, just as a sign saying, boy, that's where I am today. Yeah, thank you. So not only have we addressed salvation, we've addressed that we want our lives to reflect, to imitate, to be like Christ to the best of our ability. But there's a third piece that I think is important, and I want everyone's eyes on me for a moment. People are watching you. If you've got kids in your home, they're watching. 
If you work outside of the home, your employees or those that work with you are watching you. Students at school, there are friends of yours or even acquaintances that are watching you. And I believe that not only should we be imitating Christ, but we need to model for others to say, like Paul, follow my example as I follow Christ. Follow my example. And if your heart this morning is to say, Pastor, I want to follow Christ with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, like we just raise our hands, but then I also want to bring others along. I want to mentor or to be an example for others. I'm going to ask that you would just stand just for a moment, that you would stand right where you are saying, boy, I want to take it beyond my own life, and I want to model Christ for others. Just stand right where you are. Just give you a couple moments to do that. Just stand right where you are. Now, everyone, let's stand together, and I want to close. I want to pray for you, and then I want you to know that our altars are open this morning. And Brendan will continue to play as long as we need. This morning, I want you to know that God, he's pricking our hearts to not only imitate him, but to model for someone else, to bring someone else along. I believe God, he's going to give us the strength to do that. Father, I pray right now for each person that's here. Lord, that you would capture our hearts and our minds. Give us a love for your word. It's our every breath. Lord, sustain us. Help your word to be on our hearts so that we can live like you want us to live. And Lord, we may not make it perfect all the time. In fact, we probably won't. But Lord, help us to choose righteousness. Challenge us to be in right standing with you. And Lord, help us to take it another step not only stand for righteousness, but to model righteousness for others to see. Help our lives be so attractive that others would want to be like us. And God, I pray that as we leave today, that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to dismiss, but the altars are open. If you want to spend some time with the Lord, some extra time at God in God's presence, we will stay so that we can anoint you with oil, whatever the case might be. I'm going to ask that you would not talk in the sanctuary. We want to provide some time for people to meet with God, continue to do so. Otherwise, in the, in the lobby, of course, uh, connect with each other and uh, go in the grace of God. We love you. Thanks for being here this morning. And dive into God's word this week again. Amen? Amen.